do you take those into consideration, the environmental attributes, for yeah. example? Generally, under our legislation, they don't. It's still the least cost. It is ju- the just no and reasonable. Is, is, it's not reasonable. And I'm not saying this as personal judgment. Oh, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying yeah. it's not reasonable to pay more for an electron that you can buy cheaper somewhere else. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 071, number 71 of the Flux Capacitor. I recorded this episode in the hallways of the 2023 Globe Exchange Conference in Toronto. My guest, live from Globe, is David Morton from the British Columbia Utilities Commission. David is the Chair and Chief Executive Officer of the BCUC and a previous guest of this podcast. Way back in 2019, David was featured on episode 11 of the pod. At Globe Exchange, Electricity Canada released our annual State of the Canadian Electricity Industry, which was followed by a panel discussion on electrification and the future of the sector. David was one of the panelists, and we sat down to chat following the panel. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about electrification and GHG reduction challenges, customer affordability, the limits of current legislative frameworks for regulation, and we do a deep dive into the nuts and bolts of regulatory processes. And as always, we end the conversation with a book recommendation, David's suggestion for an addition to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with David Morton, recorded at Globe Exchange at the end of February 2023. So here we are at Globe Exchange, and yes. we just finished a really, I thought, an interesting panel. I thought so too, Francis. Yeah. So I, I thought what we could do is uh, is maybe just uh, drill down a little bit on some of the things that we talked about on the panel uh, sure. for the benefit of uh, of the listener here on the, on the podcast. So so why don't we start with where we started our, our panel discussion, sure. and that was just to get a sense of um, you know where you see Canada in terms of our progress on electrification and net zero, and you know what yeah. I was using in the panel is is you know. On the one side, it's completely stuck. On the other side, yeah. it's everything's moving at great speed. Yeah. Like, where do you see us right now in that sort of transition at this uh, at this time? Yeah, um, I'll give you a slightly different answer than I did uh, in in the panel discussion. Um, but to focus on on uh, electrification and electricity and net zero, um, you know, I think Canada's in a really fortunate place. Um, We've got eighty-five uh, percent, or something like that, eighty-four. Yeah, 84%, yeah. yeah. of uh, of our electricity is already deemed non-emitting, and I know when you compare that to the U.S., Debbie had the numbers earlier. Yep. It's, it's substantially more. Yeah, um, and you know, out of our provinces, some are virtually all uh, non-emitting, and and you know, so it's not an even distribution province by province. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in in Canada, it's lar- it, 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 it's largely there's a focus on. Those provinces that aren't, or, or in order to get to mm-hmm. get there, we need to focus on those provinces that aren't. And perhaps our uh, our federation doesn't allow us all to focus, you know, perhaps in a way that many people would like. Yeah. Um, so, so I, you know, I guess that is uh, that that is a concern. But as I was saying in the panel discussion, um, I, you know, I'd say I have a broader concern. And 
you know, that missing 16%, that'll get us to, to the amount of electricity we're using now. Yes. But what are we going to do if we're going to double or triple? Right. To get, our, yeah, that, that's a, I mean, that's the 2050 then, target. Then all yeah. bets are off then. Yeah. Uh, can, yeah. And can we get there in, yeah. in a cost-effective manner? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying we can't. I just, I, I don't know. That that would be a challenge. So when I, but then when I look at net zero goals more generally, um, I mean, I, 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 when I saw that question, I went to, I went to the internet because you know mm -hmm. that's where you find all information, <laughs> and uh, you know get, our our emissions are kind of stuck around 700 uh, megatons, mm -hmm. um, yep. and they have been for you know probably 20 years now, right. you know roughly in in a band or around there, yeah. and they're not going down anytime soon. Yeah, and, and you know we, we kind of touched a little bit on that as well. The, the electricity sector uh, emissions have dropped considerably by yeah. 50 percent since 2005. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, the emissions in other sectors have yes, gone up. Exactly. So yeah, we seem to be yeah. treading water. Yeah, overall. We, as an yeah, economy. we do. And I know that the way that. And I'm, I'm not being critical at all, but if you go on the BC website, they've they've got some charts that, that show uh, GHG emissions. Uh, there's one uh, that shows it by uh, by uh, GDP, okay, and, per, and one per person. And the GDP one is a nicely, you know, pretty pretty much a straight line. It goes from 1990 down to the present, and then it's gently sloping downwards. Okay, and because our GDP has been increasing while our emissions have remained the same. Okay. Basically, yeah, yeah. Or, or even increase slightly. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good thing in, in, that it, in that it means that we're able to, to achieve levels of GDP with, with, lower, le with, carbon with lower carbon emission. But yeah. that, I mean, but I don't, I'm not an economist. I don't yeah. really understand why. It could be because we're moving to a service economy as opposed to an industrial-based mm -hmm. economy. And, you know, again, that's, mm -hmm. there's a big analysis you need to do there. Mm -hmm. But similarly, the, on the population basis in BC, per person emissions are dropping similarly down from 1990. But then when you multiply it by the population, they're actually slight, growing, moving yeah. slightly up. So mm -hmm. even in BC, a, a province that's got virtually 100% Clean electricity, mm -hmm. our emissions are rising. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So barriers, um, yeah. And we had, a, I, th I thought, a, a, an interesting <laughs> conversation about barriers. Um, what do you see as, as the, the biggest barriers for us to? Well, maybe let's unpack a little bit about um, uh, electrification versus yeah. GHG reductions. Yes, we, we talked a little bit about that, and, and you've got uh, yeah. a, a different view than some because of the perch uh, yes. you have in British Columbia. Yes, right. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because yeah. it is it is an interesting um, yeah, it uh, is an interesting perspective. Exactly. Um, yes, yeah, as, as we were talking about in this in the Globe session. Um, if you look at BC's um, fuel fuel mix, and mm -hmm. I, I imagine it's probably not that much different from many places, but roughly half of it is from for fuel. That would be gasoline and diesel. Yeah. And then if you look at the other half, um, a little more than half of that is uh, comes from natural gas, and a little less than half comes from electricity. Yeah. Well, if you're cleaning up your GHG emissions, and there's no more GHG emissions to clean up in the electricity sector, mm -hmm. then that means you you turn your targets full full on at at um, transportation fuels and and natural gas that's all there is and natural the gas. Lo, the low hanging fruit's gone in, in, in many cases we're <laughs> yeah. talking in, in BC we're talking about heating space heating space heating industrial heat right. yeah okay yeah. so i mean our natural gas companies have uh, have some good programs rng for example yep. uh, we're close to 15% of the gas supply now is is rng so that's decarbonized uh, uh, a, a bit but mm -hmm. um, 
I, I'm not sure. You know, there's hydrogen is a possible mm -hmm. um, is also a possible pathway there. Transportation fuels, um, we are probably along with Quebec and uh, California, probably among the yeah. most aggressive adopters of electric vehicles, electric vehicles in, yeah. in in North America. And I would also point out that we've got some hydrogen fueling stations mm -hmm. uh, that have just recently. Um, emerged or popped up or whatever hydrogen stations do. I think um, among the only ones in Canada. Probably, right? yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think that, that there's some um, thought that um, heavy, um, he more heavier equipment that is mm -hmm. more suited to uh, hydrogen than lighter equipment. But right. I think it's fairly early days to draw conclusions yet. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so the perspective I think we have in BC is that one of the reasons that we are looking aggressively at those areas like RNG adoption and electrification of transportation or possibly hydrogen is that that's the only place we can achieve any greenhouse gas savings yeah yeah so what are the what are the barriers that you see in terms of um, in terms of keeping us from achieving our GHG ambitions yeah GHG reduction ambitions yeah um, well I think I think cost is a big it's certainly going to be. Yeah. I can't remember who who on the panel today made the point, but you know you 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 can't get too far out ahead of the public if on cost yeah. and and you know there's a lot of support for something as long as it doesn't cost any money <laughs> and, and and as soon as it starts costing yeah. money then then there's going to be political price to pay and yeah. you know and that's I think what what is possibly um, one of the things that's that's to the extent that you would characterize our our GHG reductions is stalled. I think that would be right. one of the things that that's stalling it. It's it's, it's a huge, it's a huge challenge, though. Um, mm. I mean, one of the things I didn't get a chance to say today was that we've got, um, you know, we've got an electricity system that's been around in its present form for for a long time, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a it's it's evolved slowly um, you know there you know if if an engineer from 1940 came along he'd probably still recognize He'd most recognize of it. most of the yeah, yeah. most of the components yeah. for sure yeah there's very little yeah. Yeah. you know the change has, has been slow now mm -hmm. there's been some changes there's you know uh, post world war 2 nuclear was uh, you mm -hmm. know probably one of the bigger changes in the in the electric system yeah. but it wasn't a, it wasn't a transformational change no. that, that, that the kind that were it was just you know you replace a, a coal plant or a gas plant or whatever with with, with nuclear and yeah. it, you know it wasn't a, it wasn't a more fundamental change. Than that. Most of the change that's occurred has been at the customer end at yeah. the utilization, yeah. smart meters and things like yeah. that. Yeah, the, yes. sort of the utilization yeah. end. But, but yeah. you're right, generation, transmission, distribution. Yeah, it looks very Ex similar. Exactly. Would, would exactly. Like. Yeah. So here's a system that is that has uh, been. This change has been evolutionary as opposed yeah. to revolutionary, yeah. and and now we're we're somehow expecting that it can change in a revolutionary way. Right. And and I don't think we fully understand the impacts of that on on cost, reliability, and 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 so on. Mm -hmm. And you know I think it's probably good to be cautious in mm -hmm. in, in some mm -hmm. you know in, in some circumstances. Said, said the regulator. Said the regulator. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I get paid to say that, Francis. <laughs> You know, you you, you mentioned um, you mentioned um, you know you don't want to get too far ahead um, of where the public is comfortable with respect to costs. That's probably a lot of your day to day, right? Yes. Um, as a as a regulator, it it's, is. It's it's about um, looking at costs and and how they yes, and who pays them, who incurs them, who who right not not incurs perhaps the wrong word, who uh, causes them the cost causation and who cost and who, causation and who pays okay. it yes. 
yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I th that doesn't mean I'm opposed to things costing more, but yeah. if they do cost more, I think people have to understand that they cost more and they have to understand why they're paying more right. and why they're costing more. So I think that's one thing as a regulator that we can do is we, we can we can we can cast um, a light, mm -hmm. transparency on 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 costs, um, and perhaps more importantly on on costs that that impact a, a particular customer or customer group for a particular utility. Right. For example, we we all look at a lot of um, you know these pathway models and mm -hmm. and that look at you know and say that you know by 20, 2050, you know costs are going to be such and such. Well, those are models that you know cover a, a, a lot of a, a lot of territory, mm -hmm. and th that's a, a long time in the future. Right. A regulator and and the and its utilities and that utility's customers are really concerned with what's it going to cost in this territory five years from now mm -hmm. or seven years from now, mm -hmm. and the models don't often don't show that. Right. And um, even if people did understand the models. Um, it, it wouldn't that data wouldn't be there so we have to somehow figure out how you get from these models to mm -hmm. to to what what it what it's actually costing and mm -hmm. and 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 show people what it costs and then it's up to them if they uh, right you know if they want to call their MLA or or complain to the utility um, you know this is a democracy you know right. people get people get their say and, and the term you used in the session was just and reasonable. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. And so that's always a great test. Is just and reasonable. This is yes. this is this is your day to day is yes. determining what exactly. is just and reasonable. Yeah. And until now, our our just and reasonable test has been, if you're going to buy, um, a, you know, an electron from this company, as opposed to an electron from that company, mm -hmm. buy the cheapest electron. Mm -hmm. You know, or if you're going to buy a gigajoule of natural gas from A or B. Well, get the cheapest gigajoule of natural gas. Mm -hmm. But now an electron is not just an electron, and a gigajoule <coughs> of natural gas isn't just a gigajoule. It depends where it was made, how it was made, mm -hmm. how it got here, um, you know, the environmental attributes that are yeah. associated with. It. Now those things matter, and so. So how do you, how do you uh, at the BCUC or or do you take those into consideration? The environmental attributes, for yeah. example. Well, it's, how, do they, how do they work yeah, into decisions? It's a good question, and and. The short answer is they generally under our legislation they don't. Mm -hmm. um, it's still the least cost. It's ju the just right. and reasonable is 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 the least cost. Okay. It's not it's not reasonable. And I'm not saying this as personal judgment. Oh, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying yeah. it's not reasonable to pay more for an electron that you can buy cheaper somewhere else. Because that's the legislative framework. Under that's which a you legislative operate. framework. Yeah. But that said, um, we do have um, we have had regulations enacted. Mm -hmm. That have said uh, that, for example, a permissive regulation that allows utilities to buy a certain prescribed amount of renewable natural gas mm -hmm. at a certain price, right, which is higher than they would pay for natural gas that wasn't renewable natural gas. And just just for your listeners, so just so we're all clear, a molecule of renewable natural gas is chemically identical mm -hmm. to a molecule of natural gas. So it's a, you're basically buying, you're paying more. For the environmental, for the environmental attribute. attribute, yeah. So the government has said to us, you have to allow utilities to pay up to X amount of dollars right. for X amount of, right. of renewable natural gas, and that's a reasonable approach because, you know, that, that's not our decision. That's that's a, um, you know, a, a massaging, as it were, of the regulatory framework to to allow for that 
for us to take mm-hmm. to take that into consideration. But absent that, then no, it would be still the least cost test. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that we have discussed around the commission, and and um, you know we've we've talked to our government about it, and that's a recommendation that government consider looking at imposing. And I appreciate this is not something that um, you know utilities may uh, feel is is what they would want or is beneficial to them, but imposing on utilities a, a GHG uh, emission um, obligation. Okay, and then. Um, with with not just on their own company, but on the on the utility service that they provide, mm-hmm. and then that would give us the opportunity to man to to manage the regulation to that. To, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Because currently it's not part of your mandate. It's not part of the mandate, and but that, if, and that but would if, give you the ability. Right. But mm-hmm. if they come to us then with an application that says we want to buy such and such, or we want to build something that's mm-hmm. going to be emitting, well, we say, well, you know, it doesn't doesn't meet the doesn't meet your you know your your obligations, so that then becomes part of our decision making in a way that it's not now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just curious, wh- how long does the process take? Um, you know, for a, a company that puts together a rate case and brings it forward. <coughs> I, I, I guess that uh, that the the listener would be interested in just kind of yeah. understanding what what the mechanics look like. Yeah, um, it can it can be a long time I yeah. think by anybody's standard a long time more than a year right yeah um, and that doesn't count the amount of time that the utility spent preparing to, to put their, their yeah, case to together. put their case together they may also have gone out for consultation with their customers right um, and then it comes to us and then um, you know just to outline the process mm-hmm. generally the application comes to us I assign a panel of commissioners to oversee the review of the application yep to write a decision on it, and then um, and then it gets going from there. We uh, we have a period where interveners can register mm-hmm. in in the proceeding, um, and then there's um, and then there's interrogatories that are asked by the interveners and mm-hmm. by the commission. I mean, in theory, they don't have to be, but mm-hmm. typically there's many IR we call them information requests, right? And that's be, because there's things, things in the application that aren't fully explained, or people mm-hmm. don't understand, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so there can be one, two, or three periods of IRs, and okay, so and be like cycles, and, and they, that yeah. takes a couple of months each. Yeah, yeah. And then there's there may be a period where there's evidence submitted by interveners that mm-hmm. that would you know rebut perhaps things that are in the application, um, you know, counter. Evidence that goes counter to something that mm-hmm. the utilities apply for, mm-hmm. and they may present that by experts, and then everybody gets an opportunity to ask questions on that expert evidence, and then mm-hmm. you could have, you know, a question around that. There's a, there's another t- couple of months or so there, and then it may proceed to an oral hearing, which means that the utilities experts and the interveners experts, we get them all into the hearing room. Everybody gets to cross mm-hmm. examine everybody else, and I've been in hearings that have gone as long as two weeks uh, mm. do, doing that. Mm-hmm. So, when, And then after that, there's a period where all parties present their final arguments and, right. and so, you know, their summation, so to speak, and then uh, the panel takes it away. And we have a rule. Um, we, we, try to, uh, we try to get all of our decisions issued within 90 days of the last arg- argument that we okay. get on right. average. Right. But it results in, in, in a long in a long process. Now, why can't we do it faster? Well, there's there's a number of I mean 
I can I can appreciate why people get frustrated by by the length of time. I, I mean, I've sat on a number of these things, and it's frustrating for me too. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that if we if we start to shorten any of those parts, if we start to shorten right. the amount of time that you know people get to think up questions and ask questions or respond to questions, we will end up in the appeal court, right? and right. and that will be that unfair process, um, yeah. not fair, you know, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And probably lose. Yeah. So, you know, we tend to err on the side of mm -hmm. providing people with an opportunity. You know, everybody gets has a chance to be heard, and everybody has, um, uh, you know, and, and and a right not to be rushed or or not to be forced to respond in a time frame that's not reasonable. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one thing that it's it's just difficult to make it go less than that. So. Mm -hmm. So often the very same people that complain about the length of the process are, are the, the ones that will complain when you try to shorten it. So, right, right. Uh, now, the, the interveners you mentioned, you mentioned interveners. Um, yeah. There uh, is funding provided uh, to interveners? Uh, or how does it work? Yeah, under, uh, it? It provided they um, adhere. And, You've got, yeah. You know, but there's there's rules, but yes, they are. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, we have a number of, inter of intervening groups that intervene fairly regularly. Right. Uh, one that represents commercial ratepayers, one that, in the case of electricity, uh, one mm -hmm. that represents industrials. Uh, we have a group that represents low income and, and uh, seniors. Mm -hmm. um, we have a residential uh, consumers yeah. group, and uh, they uh, they are funded for their participation in a hearing on a recovery of costs. Right, not, cost recovery it's not supposed basis. to be a, a profit-making yeah, yeah, enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, but I'm so it's, it's a not-for-profit. They're not-for-profits. Right. Yeah. Um, and it sounds as though uh, providing that forum uh, and the opportunity for interveners is important to ensure the, the credibility of the process. And couldn't do it without interveners, right? Y yes. Um, it's a... It, I th it, it legitimizes the process, legitimizes I think. The process, um, right. um, but perhaps more importantly, um, they do they do provide um, argument that's food yep. for thought for the panel. And um, you know, we've had cases where interveners have have made applications within an application. For example, in a rate design proceeding mm -hmm. uh, that uh, BC Hydro. Uh, they put forward a rate design application a few years ago, yep. and one of the intervening groups, the one that, that the, the low-income mm -hmm. representatives, they put forward an application within that rate design proceeding for low-income rates. Mm. Uh, they they didn't prevail. Uh, the panel didn't mm -hmm. didn't approve it, but the panel considered it, and you know it kicked off kind of a mini hearing within yeah. within the larger hearing. Yeah. So so it's not it it's not. Just the you know kind of the window dressing legitimizes it. It's they they their participation is uh, is often very useful to the panel. That's no, interesting. Yeah. Listen, um, one of the things that uh, that we we talked about as well today was was affordability and net zero and whether or not these terms are mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your view? Can we can we reconcile the two? Can we can we say affordability and, and net zero in the same sentence? Um, it's a good question. I guess it depends on on um, how much it costs. Yeah. Um, and as I was saying, I don't think we we don't really know that. I mean, we, basically, we've got this minefield between here and and 
and 2050, and mm -hmm. we don't really know the path through it. Mm -hmm. We don't know where the mines are. We don't know how big they are, yeah. and we don't know, you know, how if we're going to hit some of them, and and we don't know how long it's going to take to get through there. So it, it I think it's very difficult to. It's, this is not like build, just building a single plant, right? And even that can be fraught, and you can end yeah. up at the end of the day, yeah. you know, overrunning your costs. But here we're building it, you know. A significant amount of infrastructure. Right, we're, we're and doubling the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, so I think the first question is, well, what is the cost? Yeah. And and and, and you know, and it, one would have to answer that. Um, but I also, but I do think though that if you break it down mm -hmm. into you know a number, maybe a large number of smaller projects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that's what we as regulators do. We review funding proposals for, for projects, right, and, right, projects. Yeah, yeah, and alternatives and and and, uh, and and costs and whether they're whether it's just and reasonable for ratepayers to pay that much for mm -hmm. what they're going to get. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I do think there's there's some there. I think there is some argument that regulators' mandates should be examined and 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 should be. You know, we should ensure that they're aligned. But I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think we're we're you know, we're going to need that sober second thought, if I could, if I can call it that, right. review of, of 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 the funding that we're going to spend. I think we're going to need that if if we're going to meet any affordability criteria that right. we're that we're going to apply. So if not if not the current regulatory construct, then then what? Then it would what? have to be something yes. yeah something that that would replicate yeah, exactly that, that, that review. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. H how? Um, I mean, sorry if I. Yeah. I mean, you. I think I thought you brought up a great example of the moonshot or the moon landing. Yeah. And mm. also of the of the COVID uh, of the COVID drug. Yes. And you know, I, well, the COVID drug. I mean, we you know we all really appreciated that because you know it kind of got society up and running again, yeah. and yeah. and that was great. But I'm not sure that there's an appetite to change. Our drug approval system now, you know, on a permanent basis. To, uh, <laughs> no, that was the exception. That's my observation. Exception, that was an exception, now. not yeah. the rule. Yes. Well, and and you know, let's be honest. The moonshot was too. Yes. I mean, the yeah. moonshot was was the exception, not the rule either. Exactly. We don't do every project that we way. We don't do every project yeah. that way. But now, if we decide this is the one we want to do that way, then yeah, then you know, maybe we do need to like completely rethink right. the whole regulatory thing. But right. You know, well, this is actually even bigger than the moonshot. Yeah, well, well, a lot that, that's that, 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 that's exactly the point. I mean, yeah. when, when, you know, are we, are we, you know, when we're talking about uh, particularly the ambition towards a um, net zero economy wide by 2050, that yeah. is more transformative than than you know getting yeah. putting a man on the moon yeah. was. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, the, the transformative nature of that is yeah. uh, huge yeah. compared to. And there's also there's also ancillary pieces to it, yeah. too. It's not it's not just the transformation of the electric system, or the transformation of the of the, the domestic gas system either. It, it's 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 also um, at the same time. What are we going to do? With uh, parts of the economy that that are just are stranded, basically, yes. yeah. not even not just in the utility business, but ev everywhere across the economy. So, in addition to those pieces of the economy that that could end up being stranded, um, we can get another dimension to this. Um, even if Canada meets its GHG targets, um, there's a lot of bad state actors um, mm -hmm. out there mm -hmm. that we 
that we that we depend on far more than Canada yeah. to meet uh, global GHG targets. Yeah. And you know, you've got China, for example, still building coal plants and mm -hmm. so on. So, mm -hmm. so there's I would say more than a, more than a, a zero, a lot more than a zero probability yeah. that even if Canada meets its targets, the world itself will not. You know, will not meet its targets, yeah. and we would still be faced this facing the same yeah. you know climate yeah. issues that we're trying to to mitigate now or yeah. similar. Yeah. In that world, and we're I think you know you hear all the time that we're seeing it already. It's and it's not so much the rise in mean temperature, but it's the it's the extremes that, that absolutely yeah, the, yeah. These are the yeah. ones that that I would say I'm more concerned about on, to on be, the day to day basis. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Floods, no, wildfires. Right. You're right. heading back for a wildfire. I'm going to a wildfire conference tomorrow. tomorrow. We're hosting. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And we're not hardening our utility infrastructure. We're t t we're taking the same approach to utility infrastructure now mm. that we have been, as we talked earlier, for the last hundred years. I mean, it's still the same system that. You know, has incremental changes, but you know, a couple of years ago, there was pictures in uh, British Columbia after flooding, where you could see the main uh, T South uh, gas pipeline that goes into okay. Vancouver yep. and, and into British and into uh, Northwest Washington. It was completely, it had been completely flooded, or sorry, washed out washed underneath, out, yes, yeah, and it was yeah. just hanging, literally yep. hanging in the air. Yeah. You know, and so we're going to need to turn our minds to to, to those things. So. Um, the affordability, that affordability comes, the affordability of transitioning the energy system yeah. is in a backdrop of also reinforcing the energy system yeah. Yeah. and also dealing with all of the, the, the other societal fallout from, from the transformation. Right. And that, that's an affordability issue, and, and, and I think that, you know, that needs to be thought through. But, mm -hmm. again, that's way beyond my role as a provincial regulator mm -hmm. probably way beyond the term of my term as a provincial <laughs> regulator too so you know that that reminds me I, I don't think we talked about this when you were on the podcast yeah. a, a number of years ago um, what was your journey I, I, I make the joke sometimes with folks that come on the podcast yeah. when you were a young lad in the schoolyard did you always dream of being a regulator I wanted to be a regulator you wanted to be a regulator <laughs> no I didn't yeah, what was I had no idea what a regulator was I don't no, think cool. yeah. well I, I certainly yeah. hope not you yeah. would have been a, a pretty yeah. weird child yeah, if, yeah know, exactly yeah. playground you yeah. knew what regulation yeah. was but what, yeah, what was your journey um, well when I was a kid at school I was always good at math and so, uh, I always liked you know um Technology and machinery mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. So I became an engineer. That that seemed like a, a kind of a natural for me, and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that was all good. So I, I graduated as a mechanical engineer. Okay, worked for a few years, but um, that was in the um, late 1970s, and pretty soon the computer mm -hmm. microcomputer revolution came along, and yep. and that absolutely fascinated me. And yep. I, you know, did what a lot of other people my age were doing at that time. A couple of friends of mine and I started a company. We developed software and. Uh, we were kidding. developing okay. some pretty interesting software. The uh, it was a time when the, there was a Macintosh had just come out yep. with a windowed interface, and yep. and Microsoft they all they'd done at that point had developed Basic, and they were looking at a window. And we 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 got in on that game, and we developed a windowed interface. We tried to sell it to Apple, tried to sell it to Microsoft, uh, didn't quite work. But anyway, and then I ended up spending the next twenty or thirty years in the in the. IT IT business and uh, did a, a variety of did a variety of things did a, did a, a fair bit of uh, modeling simulation modeling building models for various engineering companies and so on yeah. and then a friend of mine who was a commissioner at the uh, 
at the BCUC said we need a commissioner. We you know there's an opening for a commissioner, part time yeah. commissioner, and uh, you'd be really good at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I should always be careful when people say uh -huh. that. You know. Uh -huh. Well, it turned out I I I applied for the role, got the got the job, and it um, turned out I really liked it. I mm -hmm. liked it a lot, mm -hmm. um, and didn't pay very well, so I was I was only I was limiting the amount of time that okay. I did it because you yep. know didn't want to quit my day job kind of thing. But uh, mm -hmm. I just got got drawn drawn into it. That was around 2011, 2012 when I started that, mm. and I got drawn into it and ended up uh, liking it even even more than. Mm. And at the time, there was not that much synergy between the IT business and the utility business. And, and look at it now. Yeah, know. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't take long. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hey, one of the things that I, I, I do ask folks that come on the podcast, um, uh, my final question, is uh, is about a book yes. or a book recommendation. Yes. Um, we've, we've now uh, put it all together as the, the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Yes. So what book would you uh, like us to, to add to our, uh, our book club list? Well, if it hasn't already been added, and I haven't finished it yet, so hopefully that's not a criteria, uh, California Burning. It's, California Burning, oh. Yeah. Okay. So it's the uh, story of uh, the campfire, yep. and it traces back the origins, goes all the way back to the orig origins of PG&E, okay, and uh, and and PG&E and, and its competitors, and yep. and it goes into the whole history of how utility regulation there then started in California, yep. and and also in in the process it follows a, um, uh, it was some sort of, I might get this wrong, some sort of clip that that held the line. Mm -hmm. on, onto the tower yep. and how it had you know, been made at some company in, I don't know, Ohio, something like that. And it had been there since since they built the tower. And that was the clip that had failed during, wow. the, uh, during the campfire. Again, a really good illustration of, of the importance of infrastructure right. and, and, and understanding your infrastructure and maintaining it. So a fascinating story all the way around mm -hmm. for, uh, I, I think, for anybody in the utility world. And, and, and you've got, you're, you're flying back to Vancouver tonight. You've got meetings uh, tomorrow on wildfire, so you have to finish the book on your flight on the way back. <laughs> yeah, I also have a ton of other stuff to do on my flight, uh, too. No so, yeah. Listen, uh, California Burning, we will add it to the book club list. Thank you for that. Great. And, uh, and David, thank you for joining the podcast. I appreciate it. It's well, great thanks, to have you thanks back. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate that, Francis. Well, it was good to talk to you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes, and please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, and let me know what you think of the Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter as Brad Bradley. The website is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 71. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info and links to the books which have been recommended by guests of the Flux Capacitor, including California Burning by Catherine Blunt, David Morton's recommendation today. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.